Again, it's great to be with you here. I really do can count it a privilege, this great church. Uh, I am just blown away, to be honest with you, and how at this stage of the game uh, that you guys are all of a sudden taking a whole new explosion of growth, uh, sp spreading out everywhere. I mean, I don't know if you know, but I mean, I know certainly your pastor, he knows this. Uh, but, um, you know, that's not common for, after, you know, after you've been to church, it's been, you know, you know, here all these years, you know, and then all of a sudden hit um, a whole new season of explosive growth like that. Uh, all these new campuses, these new churches, that's fantastic. I mean, I'm telling you what, I don't know about you, but I want to be a part of a place that's alive and move, moving, going somewhere. Hey, hey going somewhere, doing something. And uh, otherwise, you might as well just bury me. I'm, I don't want to be a, around. I don't want to be around to see something just stale. Glory to God. I want to be alive and full of power and full of faith. And I suspect when I'm 90 years old that I'm going to still be standing here just, just, Just gumming it, maybe, maybe, maybe lost all my teeth, you know, and uh, it's great. My wife is here. She's, I say it because she's out, she's actually over here. She's taking pictures of you. And um, so anyway, I don't know whether you like it or not, you're going to be on Facebook. So, <laughs> so there you go. Hallelujah. Father, we just thank you tonight. Let's just pause and just wait on, wait on the Lord just a moment. We thank you tonight, Lord God. Lord, we just thank you for your presence here tonight. We acknowledge the presence of the Holy Spirit in this place. And God, we thank you for what you're about to do here tonight. We thank you, God, that tonight is divine employment. And Father God, that lives, our lives will be changed. My life will be changed. We invite you to do whatever you want to do and say whatever you want to say. I give you glory and praise. Hallelujah. We worship you. Just while you're sitting there, can you just worship him just a moment? Just worship him. We worship you. We worship you. We worship you. We worship you. Oh, yeah, that's it. We worship you, love you, bless you, honor you, thank you, give you glory in this house. Oh, we bless you and honor you. We thank you. Oh, God, we worship you. We worship you. Great and mighty God. Great and mighty God. Hallelujah. I want to speak to you tonight on um, what I'm just simply calling Pentecostal revelations that changed my life. Pentecostal revelations that changed my life. You'll see in just a few moments why I'm calling them Pentecostal revelations. They're just Bible revelations, but... Let's look in Mark chapter 16, 
And verses, verse, starting in verse 9, we're going to read through verse 20, Mark 16. It says this in verse 9. Now when he, Jesus, rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had cast seven demons. I love that, don't you? First person Jesus appeared to was someone he cast seven demons out of. So, so she went and told those who had been with him as they mourned and wept. And when they had heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, they did not believe. After that, he appeared in another form to two of them as they walked and went into the country. And they went and told it to the rest, but they did not believe them either. Later, he appeared to the leaven as they sat at the table and he rebuked their unbelief and hardness of heart because they did not believe. How many of y'all see a pattern here? Did not believe those who had seen him after he had risen. And he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. He who does not believe will be condemned and these signs will follow those who believe in my name. They will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will take up serpents and if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. Yeah. Hallelujah. How many of y'all agree that's Pentecostal revelation? So then after the Lord had spoken to them, he was received up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And they went out and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word through the accompanying signs. Amen. It's an interesting passage because obviously in the center of it is the Great Commission. But you know, leading up to that, it's interesting that three times it says that the disciples were told about Jesus' resurrection and it says they did not believe. They did not believe. They were just a bunch of doubters and what I call unbelieving believers which I don't know if that's possible, but unbelieving believers. And so that ends in verse 14. Jesus then gives the great commission. And then it picks back up in verse 20. And it says, and these unbelieving believers, these doubters and unbelievers, it doesn't say that, but that's what it was. They went out and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word through the accompanying signs. Now, you know, I was meditating this and it hit me. The thought, what happened between verse 14 and verse 20? And the, up until verse 14, they do not believe. They're a bunch of doubting, skeptical, unbelieving Christians. And then you come to verse 20, and now they're going out everywhere preaching the gospel to people everywhere, and the, and the Lord worked with them, confirming the word through accompanying signs uh, by their ministry. So what happened in between verse 14 and verse 20? First of all, I've got to say that if I would have been there in that room with them, I think I would have gone up to Jesus kind of, you know, just kind of snuck up behind him a little bit, you know, like just real subtle and whispered in his ear and said to Jesus, Jesus, 
Do you know who these guys are? Do you realize who you're laying this great mission into the hands of? Jesus, these are a bunch of doubting, skeptical, unbelieving Christians. Do you realize these guys, these guys are the ones that are fighting over position? Oh, who's going to be the greatest? You know, I mean, do you realize who you're giving this commission to? And I'm convinced that Jesus probably would have looked back at me and he would have said something like this. Shut up, Shelton. I've got a plan. And here was his plan. You must understand, we read sometimes scripture, we read it like verses 9 through 20, and we think that it all happened in a moment. You know, well, they didn't believe, they didn't believe, they didn't believe. Jesus gave the Great Commission, boom, they go out everywhere and preach. It didn't happen that way. This is not some, something that just happened A, B, C, D in one day. What happened between verse, 20, verse 14 and verse 20 was Acts chapter 2. Acts chap, verse 20 didn't happen until Acts chapter 2. That's when the day of Pentecost was fully come. They were all there together in one accord in one place. And suddenly, suddenly, hallelujah. I like those suddenlies, don't you? Suddenly, the Holy Spirit blew into the upper room like a mighty wind. Shafts of fire fell upon each of them. And they were all baptized in the Holy Spirit and spoke in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Then they went out everywhere and preached the word. And the Lord confirmed his word through signs following. So the thing is, is this. And that is that they were already believers. But something has to happen that, that takes us from verse 14 to verse 20. And the reason I say it that way, and we know what it is. We say, well, okay, that's the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But what I submit to you tonight is it's a lot more than that. Yes, it's the, it's the baptism of the Spirit. Everything emanated out of that one experience. But you, if you look at the book of Acts chapter 2, you will see that whenever the Spirit is poured out and then Peter comes out and starts preaching and he says, here's what's happening, folks, that most of the things that Peter speaks to the people about reciting Joel, you know, telling what's going to happen when the Spirit's poured out. Most of them are acts of revelation. He said, your sons and daughters will prophesy. The young men will see dreams. The old men, the old men will have vision. The young men will see visions. The old men will have dreams. I'm still having visions. By the way, thank you. And all of these things are works of the Holy Spirit of revelation. And I say that because I think that we underestimate when we talk about the baptism and the power of the Holy Spirit. I, we, we like to talk about we're endued with power to go and do the works of Jesus. And we are. But I think that we overlook the fact that most of what Peter says is resulting from that outpouring and that baptism of the Spirit 
is that the light is turned on in our spirit and all of a sudden we begin to see things that we didn't see before. We hear things we didn't hear before. We know things we didn't know before. And I want to tell you this, I've learned this, that all manifestation of the Spirit comes out of revelation of the Spirit. That there is no manifestation without revelation. And so tonight, I want to just tell you, actually it's a little bit of my story, about how God led me in to what I call true Pentecost. I was raised in a Pentecostal church, a historical traditional Pentecostal church, but up until I was 19 years old, it was all pretty much theoretical to me, certainly just theology and doctrine. I didn't know much of that, to be honest with you. And I had no power working in my life, certainly no revelation and no power. And so when I was 19 years old, that all began to change. And here's how it began to change. God unfolded revelations to me. It didn't come all at once, but they came piece by piece over a little bit of time, and it changed my whole life. Before this happened, I, ha I didn't want to have anything to do with the ministry. You know, my stories, I think maybe I told some of it here before, how that I did not want to be a pastor. I told everybody around me, I said, look, I will do anything else for God. You can, I'll help in the church in any way, but don't you ever ask me to preach. I will not be a preacher. And I, the reason basically was, is my dad wasn't a pastor or preacher, but he was one of those pillars in the church. We kept everybody that came through town, all the preachers that came through town, stayed at our house. And that means that they slept in my bed. I had to sleep on the floor and they ate my food and they stayed up and partied all night while we had to go to bed. And, uh, and I watched the way that their kids were treated, not so much by the pastors, but by other people. And the kids, you know, it's like we lived, the pastors lived in that day in glass houses, as they say, where that, you know, basically ever, it was, they were free game for everybody to give their opinion, you know, and tell, you know, what, you know, the kids should do. And, and it was tough on, on the kids. And I didn't want my kids to be raised up like that. And besides, just to be perfectly frank with you, uh, all those preachers in that day that came to our house were poor, very poor. And I'm talking about dirt poor. They were so poor that the roaches moved out of the house. And, and I'm just, to be honest with you, I didn't want to be poor. And I thought to be a preacher meant that you had to be poor. So I didn't want to be a preacher. I met my wife and I told her after a period of time I wanted to marry her. And then, uh, you know, she told me, she said, well, I love you, but I can't marry you because when she was 14 years old, God told her that she was going to marry a preacher. So now we've got a problem. <laughs> so I said, well, I love you. I want to marry you. I'm not going to be a preacher. And so anyway, look, that's it. We're going to break up. If you ever change your mind, come and let me know. It was something like that. It's been a long time. The details are very uh, vague right now. But anyway, she went away. She prayed for nine weeks. After nine weeks, finally, she came back crawling on her hands and knees to me. Again, you know, it's, it's vague, but I think that's exactly how it happened. I... We got married. The Lord told her it's okay to marry me 
even though I said I'd never be a preacher. But of course, then two years later, God called me to preach the gospel. But it didn't happen until after God began to speak to me. And I, again, before I get into this, I cannot emphasize strongly enough to you, dear fellow Christians, how important it is for you to search the scripture on your knees. And I don't mean physically on your knees, but I mean in a posture of humble surrender to God, asking God to open up by the Holy Spirit His word to you, to speak to you. Because listen to me, it's only when you hear the voice of God that your life is changed and it comes alive to fulfill what God's called you to do. But I've found that one word from heaven can change your life. Hallelujah. So too long a story to tell about how God called me into the ministry, but it happened, and I finally surrendered to the Lord at the age of 21. But leading up to that, at the age of 19, I for the first time began to really do what I was just told you to do, and that is humbly search the Scripture and ask God to speak to me. I'd grown up in church, but I didn't know God. I, I was a Christian, but I didn't know really God and have revelation for myself. And the first scripture God opened to me, and anybody that knows me knows, all down through the years I've said this, that there's one scripture that changed my life. One scripture. And it changed my whole life. When I was 19 years old, the Lord spoke this scripture to me, Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. And it says this, I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Hallelujah. And that thing changed my life for this reason. Growing up, I was, I really struggled in school. And I, the teachers said I wasn't very smart. They called my parents in, told them they need to get me some kind of training, you know, to do something that doesn't take your brain. And, you know, because Rick is not going to excel. I mean, this is the truth. And, and I barely made it through school. And so I was viewed as really not very intelligent. And uh, I had poor self-esteem, and just felt like, I think a lot because of what other people said about me, like especially your teachers, people in authority. And so I felt like I was never going to really accomplish anything great in life. I felt like me, you know, I don't have anything to give. I don't have any great gifts or talents or anything like that. My brother is three years older than me. He was always the one that was very talented and gifted and smart. And, um, you know, it's like, you know, he was even in, he would take, he took French when he was in grade school. And, you know, he would, he, I would hear him in his sleep. He would be speaking in French in his sleep. Made me sick. <laughs> if you ever, at that time, if you ever heard me speaking in my sleep, I'd be saying things like hamburger, ice cream. <laughs> you know, I, you know, I was, I loved to eat. 
And so when God spoke to me, here's what changed my life, first of all. And I call it this, and you're not really going to get it, I don't think, until you hear me explain it. Out of this, I began to get a God-inside-minded revelation. Now, I understood theoretically that God came to live inside of us, Christ did, whenever we got saved. But here's what I mean. The Lord spoke this to me. He said, first of all, I have been crucified with Christ. He said, Rick, from this moment on, you need to understand that your life, the old Rick, that's not very smart, not very talented, you know, you know, not expected to excel in life, doesn't have gifts and all that stuff. He said, Rick, that old Rick died at the cross with Christ. That you've got to know, Rick, that when I went to the cross, I drug you there with me and I didn't only nail your sins to the cross so that you're forgiven, but I nailed you to the cross with me so that the old you is dead. So Rick, listen, he said, no longer do you live by the abilities, the intelligence, the assets, the, the strength of your own natural being. That Rick is dead. He says, but, he said, you've been crucified with Christ, but nevertheless you live. So you're dead, but really you're alive. He says, but the new you, he said, it's not you, but it's Christ who lives in you. So he says, the old Rick with his limitations and all of those bad traits and attributes, he said, that Rick is dead, nailed to the cross. But now there's a new Rick Shelton alive. But he said, it's not really you, Rick. He said, you're not living anymore. He said, but it's Christ who lives on the inside of you. He said, what you've got, oh, he said, what you got to know, Rick, is that this new Rick now has the embodiment of Christ in him. So now you live not being limited by your own abilities and strength, but you're only limited by what Christ can do in you. His intelligence, his strength, his ability, his creativity, his talents. Are you with me? Look, now listen. I tell this to people different times, different places I go, and I, I, I just feel so compelled to appeal to you to get this that because it can so easily fly over your heads and become just another biblical idea but not be lived out in your life. Do you understand that this was a revelation to me that I began to understand instantly that now I have the mind of Christ. Now I have the strength of Christ. I have his power. It's not some ethereal, vague idea out there, you know, somewhere. But it's now a reality that I can go forth with the unlimited resources of Christ on the inside of me. It changed the way I viewed myself. I'm going to tell you this, and some of you, I don't know, you may struggle to believe this. But do you know after I got this revelation that over the next two years that my IQ increased tremendously? I mean, look, I'm going to tell you. I'm not going to tell you what it was before. 
But you know, my IQ increased by 40 points in two years. But you must understand, it's no longer my IQ. It's the IQ of Christ on the inside of me. Now, you know, I'm nobody. I'm nothing, man. You know, I, I'm just a little guy, you know. So uh, don't be impressed by me. It's not me. But, you know, one of the things that now down through years that people say is that, is that Rick can take, he has this uncanny ability to take complicated ideas or what seem to be. There's not really complicated, but seem to be complicated or complex, let's say. Ideas and thoughts out of Scripture doctrinally and and take and reduce them down to a very clear picture where they're very simple for people to understand. Well, I tell people, I say, if you would know who I am after my own flesh, you would understand that this is not me, but it's not I, but it's Christ on the inside of me. (laughs) Hallelujah. And he goes on to say, and the life that I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. He said, Rick, from here on out, he said, you live not by your own limitations, but you live by faith. In other words, trust, confidence, faith that God has given you his ability, his strength, his intelligence in you, and you go forth boldly believing that that's going to be expressed out of your life. I begin to expect it. Now, I said God inside-minded because the deal is we know, all of us as Christians, the idea that Christ lives in us. But the thing is, is that's different than being God inside-minded. In other words, up until this point, I had lived my life as a Christian, you know, serving a God up there, a God around here. Of course, I gave mental assent to the idea, oh, Christ lives in me. You know, even as little kids, you know, we teach our kids, where's Jesus? He's right here in my heart. You know, that's okay when you're four, but baby, when you're 45, that's not okay. Are you with me? In other words, really when we get it that the resources of Christ are in us, it completely changes our life. Well, that began to change me. It revolutionized me. And as it did, then that led to my call into ministry. I'm trying to herd this up to get to some of my real key points, but I've got to tell you this. One thing that happened is that Look, up until that time, I had never prayed for anybody, you know, for healing or for anything. I'd never had a toe ache healed or, you know, headache or or nothing. And all of a sudden, I started seeing miracles and healings through me. Me. Can you believe it? The guy that wasn't very smart wasn't supposed to do very much. And I saw the, the first miracle that I saw was that I was... I, was, I mean, at 21 years of age, I was going around holding revival meetings. And the first, and this, this first miracle I saw, I laid hands on a woman one night. And I, I, this is kind of like my newfound thing. I thought, oh, man, you know, I've got Christ in me as power, as resources. Now, what am I going to do with it? You know, I mean, like, have hands, will travel. You know, and like, and, and so I, I was looking for things to lay my hands on. And I laid hands on this woman in this revival meeting. And because I was saying, God, tonight I'm going to start. I'm going to pray for the sick for the first time. And so I called the people up that were sick. And, you know, I was, 
I was hoping, you know, for a few simple things first, a headache or something else. And the first one was a woman who had a growth on her neck about the size of a golf ball. It's right here around this part of her neck. And so I looked at her. I saw that, but I said, what do you want? Hoping it wasn't that, you know. <laughs> and, of course, it was that. And she said, well, I've got this growth and you know, so forth. And I said, oh, oh. And so anyway, I just closed my eyes, laid my hands on that. Oh, God, I don't know what I prayed. But anyway, I prayed. And I remember I kept my eyes closed until I got my hand off. And I went on to the next person. And I, went, I didn't even want to wait to see. And I started to pray for the next person. All of a sudden, this woman starts screaming. And I looked back. I said, what's gone? My God, the first woman I prayed for, I've killed her now. And she, <laughs> I go back there. And she's going, oh, it's gone, it's gone, look here. I looked, and I'm telling you, I was the most surprised person in the room. Blew my mind. This growth was completely gone. I mean, I was like, I was off to the races then, man. Praying for people, wasn't long of that. I had this woman, I was called to this house in Dallas, Texas, and this Oh, I was holding revival meetings, and this woman, they said she was full of cancer. Matter of fact, when I got there, she was, her belly, was, her stomach was swollen out. It looked like she, she was ready to deliver a child. But it was the cancer in her stomach, and she was in latter stages uh, of this cancer taking her life. And so I prayed for this woman. I, when I did, I'll never forget that night, her husband was standing there, and he was not a Christian. And he was standing there very stoically as I prayed. And I prayed for this woman. I'll never forget in her home, the power of God hit her. She fell back on the floor. That was my first one where they fell back on the floor. Didn't impress you, did it? All right. It doesn't matter if they fell back on the floor, but I thought it was pretty cool at the time. Anyway, and so anyway, it's like the power of God hit her. I left. That was it. Still, she was just as I, 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 she was before I prayed. I left town, came back a year later. When I did, a woman comes up to me in another revival meeting. Oh, this pretty woman, you know, just all decked out and everything. And she said, I'm the woman that you prayed for. And stomach was all gone, and she was completely healed and restored from that cancer. Isn't that something? Now, listen, I'm going somewhere. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. My time's passing too fast. All right. All right, but I'll get it. Listen to this. Yeah, so anyway, I led from there to Temple, Texas. And I go to Temple, Texas, and I get to this church that is dead. And now I've got this fire, and the church is dead. And I'm preaching for several nights, and it's just like preaching to concrete. You know, I mean, look, if someone had a heart attack and the ambulance come in to find out who it was that died, they'd have to search the whole church before they find out which one it was. <laughs> now, I got to tell you, so I was a young man at the time, so, you know, I wouldn't do this now, but I got so mad the next night I got up and I developed a sermon, and the sermon was entitled, The Church is on the birth control pill. I said, they want to make love to Jesus, but they don't want to produce anything. Well, that didn't go over very well. The next morning, I went out, and I cried. I said, God, I've got this Christ in me, this power of Christ. I've got to give expression to it. This church is dead. God, help me. Long story short, when my wife and I were driving around that day, we drove through this little community of, of mobile homes and, uh, and these little trailers and people were living in them. 
And then we just wanted to buy one to pull behind our, you know, the kind you pull behind your car to travel around the country. And, and I saw one of those. And I said, that's like I'd like to have. I want to stop and ask them where they got that. I went up to the door. Listen to this. I went up to the door, knocked on the door. A woman answers the door who looks like warmed over death. I mean, she looked, it was obviously she was in terrible pain. And so anyway, and I, so I was very quick, asked her. She gave me the answer and I shut the door and I left. I, I went back to the car. When I went back to the car, I told my wife what the woman looked like. And she said, well, did you ask her what's wrong and offer to pray? I thought, no. And I ran back up to the door. I knocked on the door. I said, ma'am, excuse me. I said, but I'm a Christian. And I said, I believe in the power of God. I said, I see that something's wrong. I said, what is that's wrong with you? She said, well, I have a disease that's eating away my body, eating away my life. And he, she, said, he, she said, it's, it's a disease that eats away at the bone structure of your face. And she says, if you would feel the bones in my face, they're actually soft. You know, you can push them in. And I'm in so much pain. She said, I take 26 pills every day and go in twice a week for, uh, for drips of morphine morphine drips and still it doesn't take away the pain i've been doing that for two years she said i'm dying a slow painful death i said well can i pray for you yes i prayed for her that was it shut the door left couldn't wait till the next day i went back the next day i knocked on the door and when i knocked on the door this beautiful woman comes to the door all fixed up same woman doesn't look anything like she did before i said to her i said now listen listen I said to the one, I said, what happened? She goes, oh, you don't know. She said, after you left, within an hour, she said, all of a sudden, my face began to be restored. And she said, push. She took my hand and made me push. And the bones in her face were completely hard now. And she said, the pain's gone. I flushed all of the stuff down the toilet, the pain medicine. I haven't had one pill since you left yesterday. I'm completely and totally well. Come on, listen. Oh, listen. 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 No, 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 no. Listen to this. Listen. She said, that's not all. She said, I was all dolled up, you know, and makeup and everything. I had to have, she said, I had makeup on in a long time. And she says, had my hair fixed. My husband came home. When he came home, he looks at me. He said, what happened? I told him what all happened. He started crying. I said, what's wrong? He said, you don't know. He said, last night, he's a Catholic man. He said, basically nominal Catholic. She, he said, last night, he said, I knelt down before the, on the, beside the bed before I went to sleep. And I said, God, I don't even know if you're real. But if you're out there, I don't want my kids, the girls, to miss their mama growing up. If you're real and if you're out there, you've got to send somebody to help us. And he said, God sent somebody to help us. Oh, I rejoiced with her. I was so excited. And then I said, well, thank you. God bless you. Goodbye. And she grabbed me by the arm and she said, no, you can't go. I said, why? She said, after God healed me yesterday, she said, I went out and I got fixed up, went out and knocked on every door in this community. And I told him what God has done for me. And this whole community is full of sick children and sick people and says, almost every door I knocked on made me promise that if you came back, that I would not let you leave until you prayed for them also. She said, she said, you stay here. You stay here. She left. About 15 minutes later, she comes down the street, and I see her with a whole bunch of people following behind her down the street. 
And we had a revival meeting that day. Now, this type of stuff happened to me. But the thing is, is now watch this. So now I knew that I had the power of God. Now I knew that I could be used in this way to do great and mighty things. But I was still at the point where I knew God did it and he would use me. But yet, it was off and on because, you know, if I felt like I was really spiritual, you know, you know, it seemed like on that day God would use me. Or if I felt really like I had great faith, then God would use me. But how many of you know you don't feel that way every day? And sometimes I felt like I had little faith. I even felt unspiritual. And those days, it's just like nothing happened. And so it was like hidden myths. It was like God would work or move, but it's like it was at random and it's, I, I, it wasn't, there was no consistency to it. And so I said, God, you've got to give me more. And God began to give me a, a revelation. At least to me, it was a revelation. It was this simple revelation that what I call the heavens are always open. Now, let me say this. And that is, you know, we sang a song this morning about open the heavens. We pray, God, open the heavens. And that's correct. We're praying for open heavens but when we pray that, or we sing that, we're singing that for our city, for our nation, for the world. We need a revival. Are you with me? So that's what we mean when we cry out, Lord, open the heavens. But when we talk about our own personal life, you don't need to pray, God, open the heavens. Because the heavens are always open. Are you with me now? Now, don't miss this. They're always open. If you think about it, whenever Jesus was baptized by John at the Jordan, that when he came up out of the water, the Bible says what? The heavens opened up and the Holy Spirit descended like a dove. The heavens opened. Whenever Jesus later, after the cross, descended up, he descended up into the heavens. And 50 days later, on the day of Pentecost, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit came down. Now, you know what? You have to kind of just go along with me a moment, but I believe this. I believe that when the heavens were open, when Jesus went up, that it was the same hole that the Holy Spirit came back through. Are you all with me now? Don't try to think that went through too much yet, all right? But I'm making a point here. It's not, don't try to think that technically. But what I'm saying is, is that Jesus ripped open a hole in the heavens after the cross when he went up and offered his blood on the mercy seat. And then 50 days later, the Holy Spirit, through that hole, opened his power to the people and poured out his spirit. And the, and the Bible says that shafts of fire, that's literally what it said, shafts of fire. Tongues of fire sat upon each person. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? The Bible says that at the cross, that the, at that time, the veil of the temple was rent in two from top to bottom. If you put the two together, what does it mean? What was the veil? The veil was in front of the Holy of Holies. Up until the cross, that's where the Holy Spirit, the presence of God, the power, the ability of God lived. That's where they went to see the, ability, the presence of God. At the cross, they know God no longer dwelled in temples made with hands. And so that veil was rent 
from top to bottom, God thereby saying, I no longer need this house. I'm moving out. And 50 days later, God moves in to a new house, a new temple. Hallelujah. And when he comes through that hole, people, the church is born by people being filled with the Holy Spirit. And it's significant to know that we move forward two years later. Two years later, we find Stephen now being martyred, stoned to death. And just before he dies, he looks up. And what does he say? He said, I see the heavens open. Listen, listen. No, listen. In other words, it's been two years and the, the heavens had not shut yet. Stephen was saying, they're still open. And I see the Son of God, the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. I want to ask you the question. If they were open two years after Pentecost, then when was it that they closed? And why do we have to pray these prayers that I heard growing up as a kid for our lives? People out here, people in prayer meetings say, oh, Lord, I need you. Please come, 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 come. Oh, come, Lord, you please, please come, 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 come. How in the world can you beg somebody to come who's already here? Listen, now listen, don't miss this. The reason this was important to me is that up until that time, I viewed, yeah, God's with me, His power's in me, but yet it's like these heavens are continually opening and closing and, and opening and closing, and I begin to realize the heavens are always open, that God, that we are not waiting on God, God is waiting on us. Again, I'm not talking about corporate revival. I'm talking about personal revival. Let me tell you, if you want a personal revival, you can have one anytime you want. Amen? Amen? You don't need to be begging and crying, oh God, open the heavens over my life. The heavens are already open. So don't pray, Lord, come, come, come. Now, as I begin to understand this, I begin to look at this, and that is that if the heavens are always open and Christ is in me, and so he's always ready. In fact, there's a passage in the book of James. Let me tell you this real quick. Uh, in the book of James where it says, you know, that, uh, that the Lord, with the Lord there's no shadow of turning, you know that? It's actually a play on, at that time, the old sundials. Back in that day, you know, the sundials were actually just dirt. They were just a piece of ground. They would have a circle, and there would be a stick in the middle of the circle. And then the sun would begin to come up, and it would cast a shadow. And as the sun would come up, watch this the shadow would turn like this. And that's how they would know what time of day it is. But when it becomes high noon, high noon, when the sun is at the peak of its shining, of its power, there is no shadow of turning. That's what they call no shadow of turning. And the Bible says with the Lord, there is no shadow of turning. In other words, the Lord is always at the peak of his power. Ah, in other words, listen. And what God told, spoke to me was he said, he said, Rick, you may not always be at the peak of your performance, but I'm always at the peak of my performance. 
and it's me in you. Hallelujah. Wow, when I got that, it blew my mind. It blew my mind. And I was just like, God, oh, story, I don't have time to tell the story, but like, I'll just tell you part of it that I was sitting watching football one night. Now, that's a very godly thing to do, right? And, but it, I didn't feel very spiritual. I mean, I was cheering on. All of a sudden, get a phone call. It's a couple in our church, young couple, baby. I knew she was pregnant, you know, but she's not far enough along to deliver, have a baby, you know, for the baby to be viable. And so anyway, they said, the, they said the, doc, the baby's coming tonight. It's going to be born dead. There's no way to say uh, the baby's life. And they were crying. And would you come? Well, I turn off the TV and I head down there. And I'd already learned this now, you understand? And so I felt, I did not feel spiritual at that moment. You know, sometimes we think that we have to kind of get into the mode, you know? <laughs> you know, there's some kind of moment where we want to be minister, you know? So we say, would you excuse me a moment? Let me just do a few huckamashies. Ha! You know, kind of get into the mode. Oh, yeah. I've got to do the tongues things, you know? One time I was in an elevator with this, by, by like eight people, an elevator. We had dinner. We were coming down from this restaurant, and the thing jammed, you know, in the middle of the floors. And, and it just jammed there. And we were quite crowded. And, you know, as soon as this thing jammed, I mean the split second after it jammed, there was a woman with us on the elevator. She's part of our church. And she went into what I call nervous tongues. You all know what nervous tongues is? It's where they just go. It has nothing to do with the Holy Spirit. It has to do with you being scared out of your wits. I had all I could take, and I finally looked at her and I said, Would you please shut up? You're not helping anything. We don't, when it comes time to face the enemy, it's too late to start working out to build up your muscles. Are you with me now? Jesus, when I studied his ministry, Jesus spent long hours fellowshipping with the Holy Spirit, staying connected and in union with the Father. But when he went out there and was faced by the enemy, he wasn't getting himself ready. He was ready. And then I love it. Anytime, listen. Jesus prayed long prayers in private, but very short prayers in public. Oh, his prayers in public were like this. Go. Come. Be open. Wither and die. Peace. Be still. I love that. They're not even complete sentences. Oh, what was happening there? Jesus understood that God is always at the peak of his power. And because he'd been in fellowship with the Holy Spirit, that now all he has to do is to manifest that, that spirit of Christ that is on the inside of him. And you do it. Let me tell you something. Listen. I'll tell you, some of you need to stop praying about your, some of your things. And you need to start talking to them in the name of Jesus. You need to intercede, yeah, but there comes a time where you need to look at that thing and you just say, stop in the name of Jesus. Go in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Come on, somebody praise the Lord. Yeah. Yeah. 
Hallelujah. Oh, Lord. So I'm only giving you two of my revelations instead of four. So because, all right, so time. So let me end by saying this. Listen, listen, listen. Once this started happening to me, and then I began to understand, another, when Luke 17, where it says, when the kingdom of God comes, don't say it's over there, it's over here, it's over there. He said, for the kingdom of God is within you. God began to show me that, you know, that word kingdom in the Greek is the word basilia. Basilia comes from, it's, it's a Greek word that we actually also get the word basilica. It's like in Rome, St. Peter's basilica. Why do they call it St. Peter's basilica? Because the word basilia means the place from which a king rules and reigns. The place from which a king carries out his rule and reign. And so it's St. Peter's Basilica because that's the place from which the Roman Catholic Church carries out its rule and reign, right? Well, here he said, don't say the kingdom of God is out there and over here. He said, for the kingdom of God or the Basilica of God is on the inside of you. The place from which Christ carries out his rule and reign is on the inside of you. Now listen to this. And, and so when I understood that, I understood it. So many of our prayers are crying out, God, do something. God, come. And all of a sudden I begin to realize if I've spent my time with God in private, that I don't pray, oh, God, come. He's already here. And I learned that you manifest the kingdom of God that's on the inside of you. And it's not your strength, it's his strength in you. And the first thing after that that happened to me that just revolutionized my life was when I had my first demon that I ever faced to cast out. And this demon, I'd never even come close to trying to pray for someone who was demon-possessed. I was still a young guy. I was, this time I was probably 24, something like that, 24 years old. And this woman comes in one day and she says, Hi, you know, you, uh, you the pastor. I was a pastor at that time. And yeah, and she says, well, I don't know if you pray for me. I said, what's wrong? She says, well, I'm demon-possessed. You don't often hear just people come out and say that. I'm demon-possessed. I said, yeah. She said, yeah. I said, well, how, how, how do you know that? She said, well, I have demons talking to me at night and appearing to me and all these things. And I said, okay, you got demons. And so anyway, and so she said, would you pray? I would never prayed for any demons to be cast out. I'd never been taught how to do it. I never studied it. I had just seen other people, like old-time evangelists do it. You know, just, ah! You know, and so anyway, I said, okay. And so when I started to cast a demon out of her, I did what I only saw them do. And so I just, I took her, I laid my hands on her suddenly and firmly. And I started crying, come out, come out, come out, come out. I did that for about 30 minutes until I was tired. And then I started saying, go, 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 come out, go. Do something, please. And I'm doing, I mean, I'm shouting, I'm crying. After about an hour or so, I'm sweating. I am sweating and wore out. And after about an hour of this, I'm tired. I said, come out. And this demon threw her voice. Her voice completely changed. And this demon started laughing at me. I said, come out. And this demon started going, ah, ha, 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 ah, ha, ha, ah, ha, 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 mocking me. I was humiliated, and I didn't know what to do. I just thought, God, I've done everything I know to do, and this demon is mocking me and laughing at me. Lord, what am I going to do? Lord says, just take a break. Go over here, and I'll talk to you. And so anyway, I just said to the woman, I, I said, 
Actually, to both of you. The demon and the woman. <laughs> Just wait a minute. I'll be back. I'll be back in a minute. And I go over here to the corner. And I just listen to this. Don't forget all this thing I was doing all these gyrations. Come out! Shaking her and doing everything. I go over in the corner and listen to this. This, this is so beautiful. So beautiful. Changed my life. The Lord spoke to me. Totally blew my mind. You know what he said to me? He said, walk back over there and start walking around her and calmly begin to sing the old song, Oh, the Blood of Jesus. And so I just walked back over there. When I walked over there, she was still standing. She was just smiling like this. And so I did that. And I said, you stay right here. And I just started walking around her. And I just started saying, Oh, the blood of Jesus. I didn't even look at the girl. I just, Oh, the blood of Jesus. Oh, the blood of Jesus that washes white as snow. I did that several times, and then I finally looked up. And when I looked up, the smile was gone, and here's what I saw. She was going like this. No, no, no. I went around and said, oh, the blood of Jesus. I mean, baby, I was, my God, I had him on the ropes. I was going for the knockout now. I kept singing, oh, the blood of Jesus, until that woman came in to explain it to you. It's like almost a demon just screwed her into the ground. She twisted in almost inhumanly possible ways until she was in the ground and she felt like this and she was out on the ground and I thought, oh, Lord, now I've killed her. And then and she was out like that. I stood there over there just for a few minutes. After a few minutes, her eyes opened. There was this beautiful, pure clean look in her face. I picked her up and she was completely delivered of those demons, completely restored. Now listen to this. Don't miss this. What did I learn out of this? I learned this, that the kingdom of God, the kingdom of Christ is in me, but his power needs to be released. But when I was first going through all those gyrations, ah, come out, I was not relying by faith in the spirit of Christ in me, I was exerting my own personality, my own energy. Ah, come on, do it. You with me? I realized what Jesus was teaching me. He said, Rick, always remember this. The demons don't fear all your shouting. They don't fear your name. They don't fear your strength or your ability. But they fear the blood of Jesus. Yeah. He said, always remember, it's not you, but it's Christ in you. And when you start relying on things like the blood and the name and the word, then you step back out of your own energy and strength and you've rested in the arms of Christ and you've let him flow through you. Come on, give him a shout of praise in this place. Yeah! Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Time would, does not permit me to basically tell, I wish I could tell you, actually all night long, all night long, I wish I could tell you how, now I've seen the dead raised. You'll never know. Listen, I'm saying this to challenge you. You'll never know what it's like. I mean, it'll ruin you once you see. 
once you're able to raise a two-year-old baby back from life and put her back, that had been dead for over 12 hours, and put her back into the, mother, into the arms of her mother and watch that mother walk away, you'll never know what it's like till you begin to rely upon the power of Christ in you. Amen? Hallelujah! 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 Pastor Talk, let me just say this. I didn't mention this. That Look, I, most of you are here probably this morning, but we brought our book, Taking Our Life Back, how, a redemptive story of God, things God showed me. These are revelations God showed me that help, will help bring anybody out of some difficult, challenging time in your life. Thank you for inviting me. I sure love being here.